The reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. This is on page number 971. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much for your welcome. It's a great joy to be back at St. Mary's. Uh, We were last here in 2019. COVID has caused all of us to have many of our plans reorganized. Um, But we know that you have been praying for us, and we're so grateful for the gospel partnership that we've had with you for many years. Uh, We depend very much on your prayers and your love for us, and it's a great joy and privilege to be able to come back and to open God's word with you this morning. So we're going to be looking together at that passage from Matthew 6. Please do keep your Bibles open. Um, Let me pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a living and a speaking God. And we pray that you would please speak to our hearts and lives through your word this morning. Please help us to hear your voice and to obey it. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've heard, Rachel and I served uh, for nine years in Nairobi in Kenya. And in our early years there, Rachel helped out in a project with a group of women from Kibera, one of the largest informal settlements or slums in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, this little project wanted to help the women to provide for their families using various craft-making skills. So the things that the women made were then sold to generate an income. Some of the women in the project were naturally more artistic and more creative than others. They made more beautiful products, and because they just found it naturally easier, they worked more quickly. But the project had been set up in such a way that it meant that the women who were more artistic and and perhaps a bit quicker earned more than some of their colleagues. Market forces were at work, and capitalism was in play. But these women from Kibera were not Western capitalists. They came from a very different world. Now, if you are a Western capitalist, which probably most of us are, you will tend to believe that the market can grow. Um, Easy illustration with the image of a pie. If you're a Western capitalist and there isn't enough pie for everyone, what do you do? You make a bigger pie, right? And if you keep making the pie bigger and bigger, 
more and more people can eat from it. But these Kenyan women were not Western capitalists. They believed that the size of the pie was fixed, limited. Anthropologists call it the idea of limited good. The pie is fixed to a particular size. It can't get bigger. And what that means is that if I selfishly take a great big piece of the pie, then you are bound to get only a very small piece of pie. So the women from Kibera believed in the idea of limited good. And from their worldview, if some of their colleagues were making bigger income, it wasn't an incentive to believe that everyone else would make a bigger income too. Rather, their colleagues' bigger income created jealousy and envy. And they looked on that success with a high degree of hostility. What I've just described is a classic development dilemma. It was a well-intentioned project, but it was set up without realizing that it was rooted in a very secular and very Western worldview. And the participants in the project simply did not share that worldview. They have a much more holistic and integrated understanding of how the world works. Now, their idea of limited good, which in this case did lead to envy and jealousy, is something that I've described as a problem. And if you're a Western secularist, you'll perceive it as a problem. But actually, actually in much of the world, the idea of limited good makes a great deal of sense. Often, resources are limited. And the idea of limited good as a worldview, what does it lead to? Well, it leads to sharing. It leads to sharing of resources, not hoarding of them. Sure, it prevents some people from getting very rich, but actually it's designed to stop others from getting very poor. Now, the outcome of this story was not very pretty, and it created jealousy and envy that led to painful breakdowns of relationships. Now, you're all thinking, that's a very interesting story, David. What on earth has it got to do with our Bible reading from Matthew chapter 6? Well, as that passage was read for us, I'm sure you noticed that it fell into three distinct sections. Two places to store up treasure in verses 19 and 20. Two ways of looking or two ways of using your eyes in verses 21 to 23. And then two masters that we might serve in verse 24. Now the first bit and the last bit, treasure and masters, frankly is not difficult for us to understand. Very hard to do. It's hard to do, but it's, it's not difficult to understand. But what did you think about that little bit in the middle, a bit about the eye? It's a bit more confusing, isn't it? What, what is Jesus really talking about there? I think we find those middle verses confusing, but they would make perfect sense. They'd be very obvious, I think, to my friends in Kenya. They would quickly pick up what Jesus is saying. 
But we're going to start in the middle, verses 21 to verse 23. I've called this section, Two Ways to Look. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now that little section is a little complicated and confusing for us because it reflects a very different worldview to our own. And also because our translations don't help us very much. Let's start off with the different worldview thing. I guess most of us know how our eyes work, right? So you know that light shines through your pupil and enters your eye. You have a lens just behind your pupil. The lens focuses the light onto the retina that sits at the back of your eye. If you have vague memories from high school, your retina has rods and cones that convert that light stimulus into a nerve stimulus that then travels down your optic nerve to your brain. So if I'd been writing verse 21, I'd have said, the eye is the window of your body. Because we think of the eye as being like a window. It lets light in. But in Jesus' time, that just wasn't how people understood what the eye did or how your eye worked. And so Jesus is teaching here in a way that his first listeners would have been able to understand. Now, obviously Jesus is the creator God who made everything, including our eyes. But what he's choosing to do here is to teach in a way that his original hearers would have understood. And so he doesn't say, the eye is the window of the body. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And the reason he says that is because in the first century, people thought that your eye was like a torch or a flashlight. It wasn't a window letting in light, but a torch that was shining light out of your eye, enabling you to perceive things. So your eyes were understood to project light out, like the emperor in Star Wars. And in a very significant way, then, your act of seeing reflected what was inside you because the light comes from inside and shines out into the world. The other reason that this little section is hard for us is because of the translation. Our translation says, if your eye is bad, or some of the translations say, if your eye is unhealthy, which kind of makes it sound like perhaps you've got conjunctivitis or something like that. But that isn't what Jesus means here at all. No, he, he is saying, if your eye is evil, if your eye is evil. Now, I imagine quite a few of you will have been on holiday to the Mediterranean. Perhaps you've been to Greece. Some of you might have been to Tunisia or Morocco. Some of you perhaps have been to Israel. 
And in many of those countries, you can buy beautiful little necklaces and ornaments with a blue bead or a blue eye that sits on a pendant around your neck. Or sometimes you'll see a hand that is held up as a little ornament or a brooch. Those pretty necklaces and ornaments are sold to tourists in their droves, but they have a long history. And historically, what they were were charms that were warding off the evil eye. In many cultures around the world today, and certainly in first century Israel, people believe in the evil eye. The idea of the evil eye is saying that if I look at something that you possess with jealousy or envy, those powerful emotions create a space into which occult forces can produce harm on you. So in many Muslim cultures around the world, you would never say to a mother, oh, you have a beautiful baby. Because that would be to open a space of envy and jealousy through which perhaps evil spirits could come and cause harm on the child. So it's common in some cultures around the world for people to compliment a pretty baby by saying, oh, your your baby's looking startlingly ugly this morning. (laughs) Everyone gets it's an intended compliment, but it's not allowing space for the evil eye. Jesus is speaking exactly into that kind of culture in these verses. But remarkably, he is both speaking into it and critiquing it. So, what is Jesus actually saying in these verses? He is saying that the way that I look at things really, really matters. Because how I look reflects my inner life and the state of my heart. So if my eye is evil, I will look at things with jealousy and envy. And looking at things with jealousy and envy and perhaps malice reflects, of course, the state of my heart and shows the darkness inside me. But if my eye is healthy well, then I'll look at things generously and open-handedly. Looking at things like that also reflects my heart. And it reflects the light inside me. So imagine my neighbor drives home one evening in a brand new BMW, perhaps the one that was misparked in the car park. (laughs) If my eye is healthy... I will knock on her door and say, that's lovely that you've got a new car. What a blessing. Tell me all about it. Let me rejoice with you. But if my eye is evil, well, then I'll be whinging to my wife. I'll be leafing through the Mercedes catalogue. I'll be wanting more, wanting better, wanting bigger. So Jesus was speaking to a culture that knew that how we look at things matters. But he was also critiquing the very same culture. Remember, Jesus was speaking to a culture that thought that 
jealousy and envy was making room for the devil. But Jesus is saying, no. No, David Williams, no. Don't abrogate responsibility to Satan on this. The problem here is your heart. Dark or light. You see, anatomically, my eye is not a lamp. But in a very real way, actually, my eye is exactly like a lamp. Because how I look at things truly reflects the state of my heart. My light shines out. My eye shines out either the light or the darkness of my heart. And if my eye is healthy, coming from a heart filled with light, I'll look with generosity, with a desire to bless, with a desire to share, with a desire to extend hospitality and welcome. But if my eye is evil, flowing from a heart that is dark, I will look with spite and malice and envy, with a desire to acquire more and more for myself or to deprive others of what they've got. My eye, if it's evil, will truly reflect a dark and sinful heart. Now that we've understood that my eye is indeed the lamp of my body, it makes more sense of the verses that lie on either side. So let's go back, verses 19 to 21, and I've called this section Two Places for Treasures. Two Places for Treasures. Let me just read those uh, little verses again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now those verses have been brought home painfully to me and Rachel very recently. We have some lovely woolen jumpers. We don't use them all that much in Australia, sorry to make you envious, but we do get them out of the cupboard when winter approaches. This year, our woolly jumpers were home to a large family of clothes moths. And I can confirm from my experience what Jesus says. Moths destroy. They're not very big but they make a terrible mess. And we all know that if we lay up treasures for ourselves on earth, they will one day perish. It may be actual moths in your clothes. It may be actual rust on your Ferrari. It may be real thieves in your home. Or it might be the 21st century version of rust and moths and thieves. A stock market crash, inflation, a run on the bank, a pension fund collapsing, your country being invaded. They're all far too easy to imagine just right now, aren't they? Treasures on earth will not last. But Jesus says there is treasure 
that endures, that lasts forever. Treasure in heaven will never go moldy or rusty. It can't be taken away. So what is treasure in heaven? And how do I lay up treasure in heaven? Well, I think, put very simply, treasure in heaven is all those hundreds of little acts that we do strengthened and enabled by God's Holy Spirit. All those good works, all those righteous deeds that God graciously allows us to do. So tomorrow morning you're in the coffee room at work and that super annoying colleague makes a spiteful comment and you're just about to say something abrasive back again. But... No, the Spirit catches you, and by God's grace, you respond with kindness and gentleness. You've just laid up treasure in heaven. Each time you love someone with God's love, each time by the power of God's Spirit you're kind or patient or self-controlled, each time by God's grace you have that gospel-shaped conversation, You are laying up treasure in heaven. All those actually many moments of a typical day, which can seem so inconsequential, can't they? Actually, Jesus is saying they're a potential treasure trove. And that makes sense, I think, of the section we've already looked at about our eyes, because How I look at things reflects the state of my heart. So in the coffee room at work, if I'm looking for opportunities to be kind, to be generous, to be other person-centered, that kind of looking is flowing from a heart that is filled with light. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we often get this upside down, I think, don't we? I'm tempted to look at my heart and ask, what do I treasure? But Jesus knows that if I do that, I'll almost certainly let myself off the hook way, way too easily. Jesus says, no, look at your treasure and ask, where is my heart? Two places to look. Two places for treasure. Finally, verse 24, one master to serve. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, why does all this matter? Well, it matters because we can only serve one master. This is the challenging conclusion that the Lord Jesus takes us towards. His teaching in this verse, did you notice? It's entirely black and white, binary, one or the other. Which I think is often how we don't read this verse. I I, I would much rather read this verse as a grayscale verse, wouldn't you? It would be much easier, I think, if it was. 
The grayscale version of this verse goes something like this. Hi, David. Your percentages on the grayscale of God and money could do with a bit of a shift. At the moment, we're scoring you 40% God and 60% money. So, David, your challenge this month is to move your key performance indicator and to shift the percentages a little. See if you can slide up to 70% God and 30% money. That is not what Jesus is saying here. I can't serve two masters. It's not that I shouldn't. It's that I can't. I'm either serving God or I'm serving money. There's no 60-40. There's no 70-30. It's 100-0 or 0-100. And this matters because... Well, it's all about worship, isn't it? I'm, am I worshipping God? Or am I an idolater? Worshipping money. Well, as we conclude, if we put all of this together, we can see that Jesus is asking us three questions. They're three questions that have been challenging in every culture through every moment of human history. But they are, I think, a very special challenge to us because we all know that we live in a culture that is profoundly secular and extraordinarily materialistic. And that makes Jesus' questions from these verses critically, critically important for us. Here's the first question. Are my eyes healthy or evil. Now, as we've seen, that's not about conjunctivitis or glaucoma. This is about the spiritual connection between my heart and my eyes. And Jesus is asking me, how do I look? Not, not do I look handsome, but how do I look? How do I perceive? Do I look with an attitude of generosity and hospitality? Or do I look selfishly and enviously? Very easy for us, isn't it, to fall into sins of comparison. My friend gets a new iPhone and suddenly my phone just isn't good enough anymore. My neighbor's house goes up for sale and suddenly... I'm dissatisfied about where I live. Jesus' language is uncompromising. If I look like that, my evil eye is connected to a dark heart. So how do I know? How do I know if my heart is dark? Well, that takes us to Jesus' second question. And his second question asks me, where is my treasure? Now, if my heart is dark and I try to examine my own heart, then, of course, I'll deceive myself. So the second question is very penetrating. It doesn't ask me to look inwards and deceive myself. It asks me to look outwards and to ask, where is my treasure? Where do I think 
true riches lie. What am I really investing in? What am I investing my life in? Where have I honestly, truly put my confidence? How we answer the second question matters because of the third question. The third question is very simple. Who is my master? This passage, like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, invites us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as our master, to build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, to know that he is the pearl of great price. And it's my great joy and privilege of having known St. Mary's for all of these years to know that so many of you understand these things. This building reflects what you treasure, not your own wealth, but generosity. This church family has a long history of showing its deep understanding and appreciation of all that the Lord Jesus is teaching in these verses. Are my eyes healthy? Yes. Yes, St. Mary's, your eyes are healthy if your gaze is fixed on Jesus. Where is my treasure? Jesus, the Lord Jesus, we know he is the pearl of great price. Who is my master? Jesus. Only Jesus. Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the teaching of the Lord Jesus this morning, which challenges us and stretches us, brings us back to some core questions about our discipleship. Please, would your Holy Spirit convict us, help us to come back to the cross, to find again the Lord Jesus, that pearl of great price. And please, would we serve only him. We pray in his name. Amen.